Well, praise the Lord. What a blessing to be here. Let's take our Bibles tonight and go to Esther chapter 9. We're beginning a new chapter. How about that? Last week we had a winter storm of sorts, and many were unable to make it in. So if you missed last week's message, I would ask you to go back and take a listen. There was a lot that I covered, and I won't have time to recap all that, but we saw last time from chapter 8 the contrast between Haman's decree and Mordecai's decree, and I used that as an application to the difference, the contrast between the Old Covenant and the New Covenant. Remember that Haman's decree allowed anyone to murder and spoil all the Jews. Mordecai's decree allowed the Jews to defend themselves. Persian law, you couldn't revoke a law. (laughs) So once Haman's decree was issued, it, it had to be executed. And so they couldn't just get rid of that decree. But when Mordecai was in charge, he issued a decree that would allow them to defend themselves. And even though they still had the day of Haman's decree to face, we took note of how they were joyful. The Jews were joyful. They were glad after the decree was issued by Mordecai. And that's a great picture because nothing really changed in light of the big picture. They still had the battles to face. And, and that's how it is for us. We, we enter the new covenant and we still have battles to face. And, and we talked about this what, last Sunday morning maybe? I can't remember. That we'll face the same storms as the lost face. It's the same exact storm, but how we weather the storm and make it through is what identifies us as a child of God because we can do so with joy and gladness. And sometimes that's difficult. But when we walk in the Spirit, we're able to have joy uh, with, with fellowship in fellowship with our Lord. And so uh, just keep that in mind that you're going to face things, and that's really going to be the focus tonight as well. But um, th- this thought is that um, a house that is founded upon the rock of Christ, which we covered last Sunday, is while it weathers the same storm, there's security, there's safety, there's, there's knowledge knowing that I'm going to come through this thing okay. Even though the lost would go through the exact same storm, they may not weather it as well because they're founded upon the sand and their house will fall. And so what an important point for us to make sure we're grounded in the Word of God. Being a child of God will not exclude you. Through it all, we can experience the peace which passes all understanding. And that's really the key, having that peace of God. All right. We actually covered a record number of verses last week, probably for me in one sermon ever. And so you ought to pat me on the back for that. We're really screaming through this. Um, We made it from verse 3 all the way down through verse 17 of chapter 8. That's incredible. And so you're welcome. And tonight we'll begin chapter 9. Let's read verses 1 through 16. Actually, you know what? Let's just read verse 1 because I thought we were going to cover more ground than we are. Um, I do this every time. I write all these verses down to read. And Verse 1, chapter 9. Now in the twelfth month, that is the month Adar, on the thirteenth day of the same, when the king's commandment and his decree drew near to be put in execution, in the day that the enemies of the Jews hoped to have power over them, though it was turned to the contrary that the Jews had rule over them that hated them. And I believe that parenthetical statement is really telling us what's about to happen, that they were wanting, the enemies of the Jews obviously wanted to defeat them, but that didn't happen. God turned it into their favor. 
but we're going to leave that alone for tonight. Um, let's just talk about one topic here. I got stuck on this tonight. I didn't mean for it to come out this way, but I believe God has a purpose in how this came out, and it's got to be for somebody. Uh, I don't believe he does anything without a purpose. And so remember when Haman issued his genocidal decree, the, the Jews had 11 months until it, it took effect, and that time has arrived here in verse 1. The time for this decree has now arrived. In chapters 3 and 8, Haman is called the enemy or the Jews' enemy. Twice in this chapter, Haman is referred to again as the enemy of the Jews. But what we are reminded of in verse 1 is that the hatred of the Jews in Persia was not limited to Haman. Four times in this chapter, reference will be made to the enemies of the Jews. In verse 1, we read the phrase, the enemies of the Jews. In verse 5, we'll read, the Jews smote all their enemies. In verse 16, we read that the Jews had rest from their enemies. And in verse 22, the Jews rested from their enemies. Clearly, the Jews had enemies throughout the Persian Empire. It was not limited to Shushan, the palace area. It was not limited to Haman. But there were enemies scattered throughout the entire 127 provinces of Persia. And the, the hatred against them, it did not matter the political climate. Because when Haman was in charge, they had enemies. When Haman was taken out and Mordecai was in charge, they had enemies. The political climate didn't change the fact that they had enemies. Now, I'm not doubting that your leader can have a big impact on how maybe those who are indifferent feel about the Jews in, in this case, or us as Christians today. And so when we have bad leaders, obviously there's going to be more, um, more of an open door to hate Christians. When we have a good leader, perhaps there'll be more acceptance. But one thing's for sure, there's always enemies. They're always there. We see that here. It didn't matter if Haman was in charge or Mordecai I was in charge. There were enemies that were out there. And, and I'm just pointing out, enemies are nothing new. Right? They're, they're everywhere. They're all around us. And it doesn't matter who's in charge politically. Now I'm all for having somebody good in charge. And I think we ought to vote for that and pray for that and, and all the rest. But enemies will always be here. The severity may ebb and flow with leadership, but we know for sure those who hate God's people will always be around. And we know this because the Bible says when the, Lord's re when the Lord returns, His enemies will be made His footstool. So if the enemies are here when He returns, they're here all the time. So we're not going to escape it. And it's going to be here till the end of this age. Don't expect a life with no attacks. Congratulations. Thanks for coming tonight. That's your encouragement. <laughs> Don't expect a life with no attacks from the enemy. Rather expect it. We're never promised an easy life. But we can have a blessed life. So I got hung up on this uh, idea of enemies, and I want you to bear with me because we're just going to park it here tonight and talk about this thought. Um, I believe you understand that enemies are all around you. They are manifested in many ways. We often hear about the world, the flesh, and the devil uh, all being our enemies. Jesus talked about the world hating him and his followers. James wrote in James 4.4, Know ye not that friendship of the world is enmity with God? 
Whosoever therefore will be a friend of the world is the enemy of God. Jesus taught us to watch and pray because the flesh is weak. Paul wrote in Romans 8, 7 that the carnal mind is enmity against God, our flesh. And of course the devil is our enemy. Matthew 13, 39 clearly tells us that. And in that context, the devil is the one who is sowing tares among the wheat. And ultimately, we understand our enemy is spiritual, though he is manifested through physical beings. And we must be on guard. Now, you can follow along with these if you want. I'm, I'm not, it's up to you, but I'm going to turn to these. The first one is Matthew seven fifteen. Be on guard. Here are some enemies that I'm going to give you throughout um, that speak about us being beware, being beware of some things. Matthew 7.15 says this, Beware of false prophets which come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravening wolves. The false prophets are out there. Jesus said, watch out for them. They are especially dangerous because outwardly they can appear righteous. They can appear in sheep's clothing. They can look like one of us. And we've got to be on guard. They can seem innocent as a sheep. 2 Corinthians eleven thirteen through 15 tells us, For such are false apostles, deceitful workers, transforming themselves into the apostles of Christ. And no marvel, for Satan himself is transformed into an angel of light. Therefore, it is no great thing if his ministers also be transformed as the ministers of righteousness, whose end shall be according to their works. So watch out for the false prophets. They're seeking to pull you in. They're seeking to, to bring you into their false religion. And be on guard when their literature shows up in your mailbox. Be on guard when they show up on your doorstep. Be on guard when they show up in the form of a friend who invites you to theirs. If you come to mine, I'll come to yours. Be on guard. The false prophets are out there and they're seeking to take advantage of you. Come on now, be on guard. It's an enemy. False prophets are an enemy. The next one's Matthew 16, 6. Then Jesus said unto them, Take heed and beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and of the Sadducees. What this is telling us is watch out for false doctrine. Obviously very closely related to false prophets since they're the ones peddling it. But false doctrine is something which can creep into a place of right doctrine. A good church can get bad doctrine if they're not on guard. The difference is a false prophet never had the right religion to begin with. But even us who have good doctrine in our foundation, we're founded on the Word of God here at Liberty Baptist Tabernacle. And listen, if we're not careful, if we're not on guard, if we're not watching, then false doctrine can make its way in. And that's why Jesus said, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Uh, watch out for their doctrine. Many, many churches who once stood on the Word of God have now departed from the Word of God and they're no longer recognizable to their founding. It's a completely different environment. And we have to protect sound doctrine. Amen. Sound Bible doctrine. We have to be on guard. And this applies to individuals as well. Obviously, corporately, we need to be careful 
of the enemy of false doctrine. But in, as, as individuals, we live in a world now where information is right at the click of a button. It's at your fingertip on your phone. You can go to the internet. You can find anything you want. And, and the information is there with just a simple internet search. The enemy of false doctrine is ready to draw you in. And it's often subtle. That's how Satan works. It'll be just enough to cast doubt on what you hear here. Listen, I deal with it. Well, I got to clicking away on YouTube and Pastor so-and-so said this. Is it in God's Word? Is it sound doctrine? And so we got to be on guard. That enemy is out there. 1 John 4, 1. Great verse. Beloved, believe not every spirit, but try the spirits, whether they are of God, because many false prophets are gone out into the world. So be on guard. Um, Matthew, I'm going to back up to Matthew 10, verses 16 and 17. Behold, I send you forth as sheep in the midst of wolves. Be therefore wise as serpents and harmless as doves. But beware of men, for they will deliver you up to the councils and they will scourge you in their synagogues. Jesus was warning them to beware of men because they would kill them for their faith. That's what John tells us in in chapter 16 and verse 2. Jesus said, The time cometh that whosoever killeth you thinketh that he doeth God's service. That's how dangerous men can be. They, they can be so mixed up and confused that they'll actually think they're doing the will of God when they're really doing the will of the devil. Watch out for the wickedness of mankind because often they know not what they do. Isn't that what our Lord said when He was on the cross? Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. They were crucifying the, the Messiah, the Christ. So watch out. Watch out for men because men can be merciless. Amen. You ever had a friend turn on you? Merciless. All of a sudden you're an enemy. David said in 1 Chronicles 21.13, I won't give the background, but it's when he had to choose his, his punishment. Let me fall now into the hand of the Lord, for great, very great are His mercies. But let me not fall into the hand of man. Why? Because man will not be merciful. Be on guard. Beware. You say, who can we trust then? Put your confidence in the Lord. Put your trust in the Lord. Amen. Um, So be on guard. Luke chapter 12 and verse 15. The Bible says, And He said unto them, Take heed and beware of covetousness. For a man's life consisteth not in the abundance of the things which he possesseth. So be on guard against lusting against possessions. Uh, desiring to have the things of this world. Be on guard. It, it's an enemy. Covetousness is an enemy. And, and when you begin to covet, various problems can arise. Many problems, actually. Covetousness fights against contentment. And we're taught that godliness with contentment is great gain. Covetousness takes that away because you lose your contentment. And, and when you fall victim to covetousness, 
you can end up making career your God. Money, the pursuit of money, your God. Because you desire more and more stuff. But we're told to beware because even if you can get your hands on those things in time, you will learn it didn't do anything for you. It didn't fill the void that you had. Amen. And so as you grow older and older, you realize none of that stuff matters. It ain't coming with me when I leave. (laughs) Many never achieve what they covet after anyhow. And, And the reason why you have to beware of covetousness is because when you covet those things and you don't achieve them, then you can fall victim to looking at God and saying, you owed me and you didn't come through. And now you're bitter at God and you're mad at God because life didn't turn out how you wanted it to. Well, I got news for you. Life isn't going to turn out how you wanted it to. Be on guard. There are many who are trying to convince you that once you are in Christ, God is going to prosper your way financially and physically. And when that doesn't happen, if you're coveting, if you're not on guard for covetousness, and that begins to happen, you're going to begin to wonder, is my faith wrong? Because this man's telling me that if I had faith, then all this would happen. Well, be on guard. It's an enemy. Colossians 2.8 is the next one. I'm trying to move fast. I'm sorry if I'm going too fast. Colossians 2.8, Beware lest any man spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit after the traditions of men after the rudiments of the world, and not after Christ. So be on guard. Watch for those who seek to spoil you. And and that doesn't mean to give you all the goodies. That means to take them away. (laughs) Right? We often talk about a spoiled kid. He's got everything. But this is talking about stuff being taken from you by the enemy. And, And so watch out for those who want to use fancy talk to take advantage of you, to sound wise. That's what philosophy is. It's the world's wisdom. Be on guard. Watch for those who try to take from you through vain deceit. Those who would purposefully deceive you through their so-called wisdom. So be on guard. They'll do so through the traditions of men, the Bible says. In other words, beware because if you fall to this enemy, you will become carnal. It's the traditions of men. You're not going to become more spiritual although that's what the enemy will tell you. Don't be deceived, though they may may sound wise. Stay with God's Word. The Bible says, let God be true, but every man a liar. Philippians Philippians chapter 3 and verse 2. Beware of dogs. Beware of evil workers. Beware of the concision. And so in context, Paul here, he is warning them to watch out for those who trust in their flesh. Specifically those of the concision, the cutting, the circumcision is what it's talking about. Those who trust in the works of their flesh. Watch out for them because they're like dogs. And and they will bite and they will gnaw and they will tear at you. They They are called evil workers because they're seeking to drag you into their beliefs. And that's wrong. And like a pack of dogs, they can be fierce in coming after you, relentless. Be on guard.
2 Peter chapter 3, verse 17. Ye therefore, beloved, seeing ye know these things before, beware, lest ye also, being led away with the error of the wicked, fall from your own steadfastness. In context, Peter is talking about those who are unlearned in the Scriptures. They're unstable in the Word of God, and they wrestle the Word of God. Beware, lest ye also being led away with the error of the wicked. Beware, because if you are not grounded and rooted in the Word of God, you can fall from your own steadfastness. That's what it says. Beware of this enemy, because so many fall. They're no longer stable. They used to be a stable Christian. What happened? They were taken advantage of by the enemy. And this is why so many are unstable today, because they did not take their enemy seriously. They were led away with error. That's a departure from the truth. Be on guard. So these are all enemies that were warned about with this word beware. Okay, that's obviously how I search for this, amen? There's probably a lot more we could add to this, but you know, I'm doing the best I can. And so be on guard against this. Just as the Jews had enemies throughout Persia, we too have enemies all around us. And beware of the false prophets, the false doctrines, the wickedness of men, covetousness, philosophy, vain deceit, evil workers, and the error of the wicked. And there's far too many verses for me to give you that talk about watch, be on guard, be sober, right? Watch. Watch and pray. It's almost many times it's, it's tied in with prayer. And so we've got to be on guard because the enemy is coming against us. Our enemy is manifested in all manner of ways. It is the devil who is behind it. 1 Peter 5 eight. be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil as a roaring lion walketh about seeking whom he may devour. That's our adversary. And he wants to take us down. He's always on the lookout. He's always wanting to attack. There's really never a moment when you should drop your guard. So what are we to do? Well, in the book of Esther the Jews were able to defend themselves because of the decree issued by Mordecai. And likewise, we're able to defend ourselves because of the Word of God. Peter writes in the next verse there, after he talks about our adversary, the devil, whom resist steadfast in the faith. Well, how do we get faith? Well, Romans 10, 17 tells us, so then faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. And so it's, it's about the Word of God. Second Peter 3.17, Peter also wrote, Beware, lest ye also, being led away with the error of the wicked, fall from your own steadfastness. He wrote this in the next verse. I love this verse, and I always sign this in the Bible that I give my kids. But grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So how do we grow spiritually? How do we fight the enemy? How do we battle all these enemies that come against us? 1 Peter 2.2, As newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the Word, that ye may grow thereby. Uh, it's, it's the Word of God. When Jesus confronted the devil in the wilderness after His baptism, how did our Lord battle the enemy? He said, it is written. And He went on to quote the Word of God to, to battle Satan. 
So battling the enemy all comes back to the Word of God. You've got to have the Word of God in your life. You've got to read it and study it. You need to memorize it. You need to meditate upon the Word of God. And you've got to be able to use it in order to battle your enemy. It's called a sword for a reason. And you must learn to wield the Word of God skillfully. Don't expect to have victory apart from the Word of God. Let me say that again. Don't expect to have victory apart from the Word of God. Don't expect to have joy and peace and happiness through your battles apart from the Word of God. So let's suppose for a moment that Mordecai's decree didn't reach all of the Jews throughout the Persian Empire. Obviously it did, but we're just supposing, okay? <laughs> and, and so if we think about that, we know Haman's reached everywhere. And, and if Mordecai's didn't, would those Jews who never knew of Mordecai's decree have the joy and gladness the other Jews did who received it? Of course not, right? They would have never known that the other decree was there. In order to have joy and gladness, they had to know and read Mordecai's decree. And if you're a believer, which I believe most of you would profess that, if you're a believer and you never know God's decree, then I don't expect you to be prepared against the day of battle. And you'll find yourself struggling in the heat of the battle because you're not prepared. You don't have the decree. And so the question is simple. Are you in the Word of God? Because one thing is for certain, the battles are going to take place in your life. And if you want to be victorious, then you must know the King's commandment and be assured of it. Hebrews 11.34 said of the prophets that they wax valiant in fight, that they turn to flight the enemies, uh, the armies of the aliens. Paul told Timothy to fight the good fight of faith. Paul told the Corinthians, so fight I. In Paul's life, as it was coming to an end, he could say, I have fought a good fight. Life is a fight. It is a battle. It, this is a spiritual battle that we're in. And whether you like it or not, the fight is on, O Christian soldier. You're not escaping, escaping battles because the enemy is all around you. So how's the battle going in your life? Are you fighting the good fight of faith? Are you doing so through the power of God's Word? Now I'm sure someone is thinking, I thought the Lord was supposed to fight our battles for us. Well, that's a good question because it's a true statement. I'll likely say more about this next time. But we can't just sit around and do nothing. That's not how God has designed the thing. We have to be engaged in the battle as an active participant if you want to come through. Consider this. The Word of God is the Lord's. Amen? So if we fight the enemy and are victorious by the Word of God as we're taught in the Scriptures, then who is actually fighting for us? It's God because it's His Word. And so we know then that He uses His Word and even though I'm telling you you got to fight, you're still getting victory because the Lord's fighting that battle for you as you use the Word of God. 
I hope that's making sense. And so I'll finish with this thought. God intends for you to be victorious. Amen? Romans 8.37 tells us we're more than conquerors through Him that loved us. 1 Corinthians 15.57, But thanks be to God which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. 1 John 4.4, Ye are of God, little children, and have overcome them, because greater is He that is in you than he that is in the world. 1 John 5, verses 4 and 5, For whatsoever is born of God overcometh the world, and this is the victory that overcometh the world, even our faith goes back to the Word of God. Who is he that overcometh the world? But he that believeth that Jesus is the Son of God. So it's all about God. Amen. There's no victory in your life apart from God and His Word. So stay in the Bible. And then stay in the battle. He wants you to be victorious. Now somewhere down the line in our Americanized view of Christianity, we have gotten this idea that the victorious Christian life, as we call it, means an absence of battles. That's what it has become synonymous with. Well, don't you want to live the victorious Christian life where you never have to blah, 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 blah? That's not what the Bible says. But somehow we've gotten that idea in our mind, and it's often used in this context to describe a point when all the enemies in your life are going to be done with, and you're just going to live victorious over in Canaan, and all is going to be well. I'll remind you, when they crossed over in Canaan, they still had the wars of Canaan. So don't fall for the lie that everything is supposed to be smooth, and that you're just going to sail through life as a child of God with no enemies. Instead, just go ahead and come to terms with the fact that you're going to have battles that there are enemies and they're after you. I quoted the first line. Let me read you the, what do they call this, the chorus? I don't know anything about music. The fight is on, O Christian soldier, and face to face in stern array, with armor gleaming and colors streaming, the right and wrong engaged today. The fight is on, but be not weary. Be strong and in his might hold fast. If God be for us, his banner over us, we'll sing the victor song at last. So the enemies throughout the land. We're in a battle. It didn't matter if Haman was in charge, if Mordecai was in charge. The enemies are there. It doesn't matter who you want in the White House. The enemies are there. But we have our decree from our King of Kings. And, and if we'll just get in this book and we'll take it by faith and then we'll quote that as we are in the battle, you'll be amazed at how God can work in your life. You say, well, does that mean the battle goes away? No. Satan tempted our Lord, Luke says, for the whole 40-day period. We get, we get three temptations at the end. And he refuted them with the Word of God, but guess what? He still kept attacking. And so I'm not telling you that you quote the Word of God and your battle's going to go away. But what I'm hoping to communicate to you is you get in the Word of God, the battles come, and you have peace. You have joy. You have hope. The last enemy is death. We're all facing it. Oh, my heart goes out for Brother Coleman. But I know it's the result of sin. That's the curse. We're going to die. That's the last enemy we face. How are we going to get through that? Same way he is. I know whom I've believed. I'm ready to go. Why are you ready? Why are you ready, Brother Cliff? Because God told me in His Word 
He's prepared a place for me. Listen, we're going to face battles all the way to the very end. The last death or the last enemy is death. That's what the Bible says. Get in the Word of God. Use it as a sword. And then watch as God fights for you.